What's up, everyone? We are back with another audio version of the 100% Wild Podcast. And in this episode, I was in studio with Matt and Mark Drury. And joining us from the road was Ralph C. Ann Cirillo. In this episode, we take a listener question about hunting mornings versus evenings. And then dive deeper into Ralph's thoughts on hunting big, mature bucks. So take a listen and enjoy. Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the 100% Wild Podcast podcast i'm mark kenyon with wired to hunt i got matt drury here with drury outdoors again mr mark drury is with us as well and matt who's our guest today we have with us ralph cianciarillo from the choice and he's actually on his way to a turkey hunt he's in a winnebago he's got his crew with him but he's been kind enough to join us from the road so we're looking forward to seeing what all ralph's got on his plate right now how you doing ralph hey guys what's happening I think you could have introduced him as Mr. Vicky Ciancerello. <laughs> I was just happy I got his last name. I pronounced right, it right. Ralph? <laughs> yeah, Mark, you got it. You nailed that one. Man. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Vicky's. Um, I, I pack out all her big animals. There you go. <laughs> Well, that that's a good starting point because, like, when I think of you guys' stuff, I always think of, like, the really awesome moose hunts or, you know, some other big game animal, you know, bear or whatever it may be. You know, what drove you guys to kind of start hunting those types of big game animals when you first started? Well, you know what? I mean, what's crazy is, as you know, um, Mark and Terry – literally nailed all the white tails and the turkeys <laughs> and all that stuff in the late you know in the late 80s and early 90s and it you know I, I myself I'm a northern boy and I just fell in love with you know hunting the wilderness hunting up in Alaska northern BC you know all through Canada um, chasing moose uh, caribou the grizzlies black bears and, and just it just I think thanks to Mark and Terry, they pushed me there. <laughs> <laughs> and Ralph, I think, actually preceded us in the VHS business because mm-hmm. he's always had Archer's Choice. And, he, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Ralph owned a huge archery shop uh, just outside of Chicago, correct, Ralph? Wasn't it also yep. the name of Archer's Choice? Yeah, Mark. I mean, it was Archer's Choice. It was right on Cermak Road. And, you know, growing up, I, I would work at the archery pro shops and and just built the clientele and it was like just I, I had to make the move you know and I and I just I, I loved it you know just like you guys and loved flinging arrows and, and just everything worked and opened up the shop and had a tremendous uh amount of success with it um had a bunch of the athletes for the Chicago athletes and then when more movies started going on in Chicago we had the actors coming in it, it just became a like a one-stop shop and it we loved it man it was a blast but it was a stepping stone and um you know we started filming about the same time you guys did and, and uh but we just went to you know we went to the, the, the a different aspect where we knew we couldn't beat you guys you guys were too damn good so we had to go somewhere else <laughs> yeah he's being too kind yeah. you started out with a lot of instructional stuff didn't you ralph and i i assume that probably came from all the guys walking through your door wanting information uh you really started with a lot of informational stuff did you not back in the day yeah mark we, you know we did uh we did a whole simple solution series on you know basics on on bow hunting elk mule deer black bear elk caribou um and we were fortunate that you know a lot of the a lot of distributors and retailers picked it up 
And um, it was just, it was something fun to do. Uh, I, I loved it, you know, and it was just, it, boy, it was a learning curve, as you guys well know. <laughs> oh, you got that right. I remember we were doing some turkey stuff, and Steve Stoltz, I don't know how you came to even know Steve, but Steve came to Terry and I one day, and he goes, uh, there's a guy by the name of Ralph Cianciarillo that wants to do some instructional stuff with me. Do you guys care? And that was the first time I had heard of you, and I'm so glad that he kind of gave us that introduction way back then. And really, we've been friends ever since, and that, that dates back to probably the late 80s or early 90s. So how did you come to know Stevie way back in the day? You know what? We were contacted by a guy. Now, it's, now I'm remembering all that. Um, we were contacted by a, a friend of ours that knew a buddy, that had a, a, a nice farm down in Missouri. Okay. And he said, listen, you know, if you need someone to call, I've got a, I, I, I think, if I remember, Stevie, what, he was a, a fireman. He is. Yep. And he said, yep. And he said, hey, you know, I got, he's a fireman here. And, you know, would, would you mind? And I, and we told him, we said, listen, we could use all the help we can trying to call Turkey. <laughs> Yep. Seems like Steve knows everybody. <laughs> everybody knows Steve, sir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to talk deer here in a second, Ralph, though. I love the fact that you mentioned some of the big game hunts you've done. And something I'm always intrigued with is I think there's a lot of whitetail guys out there, turkey hunters, whitetail guys in the Midwest or the East, that see these hunts on TV, dream about them, think they look awesome, but they're kind of intimidating to try go and do something like that on your own. For someone who wants to try their first big game hunt out west or up north on their own, is there any species you'd recommend as the first one to go after? Any advice on that? Wow, great question. Um, you know, one of the things I think we have to remember, and, and that is when most of most of our hunters are basically white-tailed deer and turkey, don't jump right up into a giant physical, uh, not only physical but mentally demanding hunt like going way up to Alaska or going to northern BC where you, you you aren't acclimated. I'm not saying you're not ready, but where you're not physically and mentally acclimated to the situation. Because one of the things that I would tell you, especially in the wilderness, it's not only a physical hunt, but a mental. Because there's a lot of times that you're going to be soaking wet for 14 to 21 days. Um, I mean, just a lot of variables that you may not de have dealt with. So make it a stepping stone. And when I say that, head out west. You know, maybe go for pronghorn, or antelope or pronghorn, or, and maybe a mule deer hunt. Do something slowly, but gradually build up and get, to be get a better understanding of not only what your personal capabilities are, but also your equipment. And remember, in a lot of these hunts, you cannot control the weather. So when, when you're doing these, these style hunts, as you guys know, I mean, it could be a 14-day hunt, and you're fogged in, you're rained in for 8 or 10 days, and it, you could get depressed and miserable. And once you get that, you make the rest of that hunt miserable. So there's a lot of little things that you play with your head that hopefully you can look at the positive and continue on that route. But stay in the smaller ways, and uh, you know, because good example, a lot of people have never seen a moose in the wild. And when you see a full-grown moose, 14 to 1,600 pounds, stand seven, seven and a half foot to, at the hump, and he's standing out there in an open bog at 70 yards, you're going to say, oh, he's 35. Right. <laughs> and, you're <laughs> and you're shooting and missing. So, I mean, there, there are things that you really want to pay attention to. Just a little low. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's such a great point though you make about the mental side of things i mean the mental side of things can really mess you up with a white tail or turkey hunt too but to your point when you're out there in those conditions and you're living in it not only you're hunting in it but you're living in it backpacked in there or something i mean that can completely change things if you're not ready for that i look back to the first year i worked here mark took me first or second year he took me two two different hunts one up to alberta uh, for whitetail and mule deer, and I was filming, and one in Colorado. And I remember the Colorado hunt was a little different than the than the um, the Alberta. hunt in Alberta. And that Colorado hunt, we were it was a lot of spot and stuff. It was all spot and stalk. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, and at that time I'm like 22, and I'm thinking I'm not prepared for this style. I've never ever done anything like that. Turkey would be only remotely close, but it's not the same terrain. So it's just a physically different demand on your body and I just wasn't prepared for it at all. How, how Even, was, how was your film job on that? <laughs> we talked about that yesterday. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't so hot. It, it, that's the other thing. You might want to know what you're supposed to be looking at. <laughs> I may have filmed the wrong animal. <laughs> oh, I filmed a, a mule deer. It just was about a two year old. <laughs> it was it the mule deer? <laughs> and whitetails is used to a deer coming by. Well, yeah. Mule there were several, but it's uh, <laughs> You know, Ralph's been such a motivation to us because we could watch his shows on the Outdoor Channel and see him hunting 14 days through driving rain. And that's what drives Terry and I to get on an electric cart, drive into a box blind, and have a relaxed hunt. Because we know Ralph's out there grinding it out, and we really don't have to. Yeah. That's good. Thank you, Ralph, for covering us. We love you, Ralph. I put the D in dumb. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Well, should we get to our question of the day then? Absolutely. Hello, Wired to Hunt. My name is Blake Topple. I am from Argyle, Missouri. I have recently set a goal for myself to kill a 130-inch deer, or preferably bigger, on public land and uh, taking it very seriously and going to try to hunt hard this year. I have a trip planned in early November during the rut here in central Missouri to a place that I've been scouting. And uh, just my question for you guys is, um, when do you start, you know, doing all-day sits or, um, you know, morning-evening sits? How long do you guys uh, stay out there? And uh, also, if you could touch on, I've, I've spoke with several people that um, have advised to uh, maybe sleep in and go out later in the morning and then sit all day, you know, like 9 o'clock. Um, I just wanted to see what you guys had to say about that or if you had any opinions or, uh, you know, any advice on that matter. Thank you. Appreciate your uh, podcast. Have a good day. So, so Ralph, what do, you, what do you think about that? You know, I, I think one of the things is we as, in general, we feel like we, when we walk into an area, we know what the heck we're doing. <laughs> when in reality... We need to let the animals tell us what's going on. Um, you know, I mean, we've heard it, and I know you guys have heard it constantly. Oh, there was no rut this year. Yet, in the springtime, there's fawns. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, hmm, let's see here. I, I mean, we, we know the rut is going on, and the rut normally goes on, on an average, pretty much the same time every year. Um, you know, whether your moon phases like you guys are experts on, you know, I mean, there's there's so many different variables. But, you know, when when to hunt first off in state grounds and a lot of people ask this, you know, they go, well, how come you guys aren't hunting state grounds? 
first I don't think a lot of viewers understand is a lot of state grounds, maybe you cannot film, you know, and, 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 and sell it like or, or air it, you know, in public TV if you're or we need filming permits. Um, and the other thing on state ground is when you can't control the pressure. Sometimes you can pattern a deer, but it totally turns nocturnal because of all the exterior pressure. You know, I, I mean, there, there's so many things, ups and downs. Um, you know, getting into a state area, because Mark, Terry, Matt, we all know because that's how we all started. You know, we hunted all those state lands, tried to do the best we could. And, you know, I, I think we've been blessed because we're all still here. So we did something right. Um, you know, and, and again, getting away from where the traffic is first and foremost do that today you have access to going online and finding aerial satellite photos we didn't have that before they were topographic maps now we're showing our age but you know now you can go and you could look on a state ground and look at pinch points you can find out where the ag fields are where the food sources are where the bedding areas are you know if you're if you've got a trail camera out and all of a sudden you're seeing that deer, but it's at night. Now you can start moving your trail camera to try to pinpoint where that deer's coming from, find out its food source. You know, a lot of times these animals will dictate to us where we need to be, what we need, and how long, or, or how, you know, where and when we should sit. Don't think you know it all. Um, you know, I'm a big fan, and I know some of you guys, sometimes you hunt mornings, most, most evenings. I, I love the mornings and I love the evenings. You know, as I get older, sitting sitting all day is easier than when I was younger. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, but it is. It really is. So, you know, but still, sitting most of those days, if you look at your prime time movements, I'm a, I'm a big believer in following that because we've seen it day in and day out, you know, when the activity has picked up and when it has declined. And I think that's a, a big thing in understanding, you know, chase, you know, chasing a whitetail that, that you set your goals on. Ralph, uh, I know you hunt like we do throughout the, the September, October, November, December. And a lot of times you, in those earlier hunts, you still may be out West or on some adventure somewhere, but when it comes to November and you're hunting whitetails, what part of the month do you decide, you know what, it's time to start sitting all day. Like when does that trigger hit you to where you go, I'm missing out on some things here. I, I shouldn't just be hunting the first hour, last hour stuff anymore. When, when do you go, you know what, we need to sit all day? Well, you know, Mark, I, I mean, we try to, we'll, we'll sit in the mornings, and then it, when we're not seeing much, we go out, we start cruising, we start driving, and once we, either our cameras tell us or actually driving, and then we're starting to see bucks on their feet out in the open areas, pushing or dogging a doe, you know, once once we get that activity, we are in we are in stands or in our blinds all day long. Yeah, that generally for us is like around the eighth, ninth, or tenth somewhere in there. We start sitting all day, and then that stays till about the seventeenth, eighteenth somewhere in there. There's about a ten to twelve day stretch where it's very advantageous to sit 
during the middle part of the day. But other than that, it's generally a morning and an evening game. We always know. recognize it in the Missouri, you know, for Missouri rifle season. During that period, it seems like that midday has always been good for us at Dad's Farm. It is, but, it, you know, if you look back through time, how many of you ever shot at high noon? Or how many mm. – I always talk to Wade about this. I go, yeah. how many have I ever shot at between 10, 12 and 2? Not very many. And, and, Ralph, maybe you could speak to that question. Have you ever shot – a giant during the middle part of the day i'm sure you have but compare that to morning versus evening no mark we haven't we really haven't but i'll tell you what i think what has helped us when you get in there then you don't disturb the area in and around that time you you, if you sat there the whole day you know and i think that's one of the big things is if you if you had the patience you know to, to sit there all day you don't have to come in in and out of that area and contaminate it You only get in there once, and I think that's where it pays the big dividend. And you guys are spot on. And you got listen. I we I learned so much from watching you guys. I mean, when I grow up, I want to be just like the Drurys. (laughs) At least two of them. (laughs) (laughs) If I had his hand, I'd throw mine in. There you go. (laughs) So okay, so during the rut, it sounds like mid-November you guys are hunting all day maybe or in Ralph's case you know when you're starting to see that activity pick up but let's rewind the tape a little bit to the early season now um are you hunting mornings and evenings during the early season Ralph or are you focusing on one or the other well you know right now I mean right then we're really on that summer pattern we have our deer that have not been disturbed so if we can get in there in the morning you know it's it without disturbing them most of the time, you know, we found that we just can't, but we can get there in an early afternoon and wait a little bit longer as those big bucks start to come out to, you know, to still hit that food source before the pressure starts hitting. Um, you know, I'm a, I, we love, our guys love that first 8, 10, 14 days before almost, you know, before everyone else gets out in the field because once that happens, boom, it just shuts them down again. Agree 100 percent yeah it's yeah. an afternoon game that early part of the season and typically yeah. it's an afternoon game the majority of the season i hunt very few mornings myself uh typically we hunt afternoons and, and almost exclusively afternoons other than the middle part of november then you know or from about late october we'll start hunting a few mornings if the weather's right but it's uh, by and large it's an afternoon game well and a lot of that has to do with how we hunt right so we've for sure we're, we're very um reliant on food plots or food source right and so if they're coming a food source you know towards the last few hours of the evening you're more or less wasting your time the rest of the we're best around our food plots and we don't want to disturb the bedroom so you know we just don't hunt the mornings that that often now other guys that you know they've got one week of the whole year they get to hunt or just a few weekends by all means, I'm going to be out there, but I'm going to make sure my access is right, and I'll probably hunt a little bit more of a perimeter style of a morning than, than I would in the afternoon, you know, because if you're limited on time, you can't kill them if you're not out there. It's the simplest yeah. rule in, in hunting. If you're not there, you're not going to succeed. Yeah, that's a great point. I think to, to both of your guys' point, it's that access. If you can find access in the mornings where you can get in there and not spook deer, but not only do you need to get in there, but you also need to consider how is a buck going to return to his bed. And lots of times, I don't know if you, maybe I've never asked you this, but I've heard a lot of people talk about many mature bucks will circle downwind to go into their bedding years, do kind of a J-hook to try to in some way scent check their way into their bedroom to make sure it's safe. And if you happen to be set up for a morning hunt near that and aren't accounting for that, lots of times they've talked about if a buck's not already in his bed in the morning, 
you still could get busted because he's going to be checking that area. Is that something you've ever seen or thought about? Yeah, it's certainly I've noticed it, but um, it's that, you know, never say always, never say yeah. never when it comes to deer hunting. Um, I've seen other bucks walk in with the wind at their back without any care for the wind. And yeah. more often than not, I think when deer are scent checking, we interpret that as they're checking for a predation. More often than not, when a deer's scent checking, they're checking for other deer. They're not checking for us or predators. They're checking for other deer because they let their automatic sense of fleeing and eyesight and smell and, and their hearing take care of that because they, they are used to staying alive. They're damn good at it too. But when it comes to scent checking areas, they're smelling for other bucks that they might be afraid of or that they want to go challenge or they're scent checking for does. That's when I see them scent checking. It's more in terms of other deer than it is predation. It's interesting. Now, let's fast forward past the rut to the late season. Ralph, would you say the same thing that you said for the early season applies to the late season, or do you have a different thought on that? Absolutely. Mornings, forget. You're hunting a food source. You don't want to bump them. You bump them. You could change their bedding areas. Don't give them any pressure. Use the, you keep the wind in your favor and get your food plots near a winter bedding area. You know, that's what we ha- we have a lot of Osage by us, and that Osage is just real thick cover. So we have our plots set up with the predominant winds in our favor for the late season. And we sneak in there in the afternoon and we sit till dark. I mean, nothing, no morning, unless you want to sit up in a high vantage point and do some glassing to maybe, you know, do some research on your herd. Otherwise, we don't mess with them in the morning, especially late season. Yeah, I agree 100%. I, I can't remember the last late season morning that I hunted. I just I just don't do it. I'll scout, like he said. I'll watch, but I, I just seldom hunt. Ralph, how's the herd doing in your part of the Illinois? I know you were affected by EHD, much like most of the Midwest was. How? What's the state of the herd right now? Mark, right now our numbers have been down just because of, you know, we got hit with it a couple of years ago. It's finally bouncing back this past fall. Um, we actually saw more mature bucks than we have seen in a long time. Everything was going good in our favor. Um, we did hear in Carroll County, which is the northwest corner of, of, of Illinois, is they did find a positive with CWD. Um, you know, and that's always a little nerve-wracking. Um, but we, we were not affected with CWD, you know, when it was really going around. The EHD did hit us, but the CWD didn't until now there was only one positive so we don't know what the state's going to do you know i leave that up to the biologists um but as a whole mark we we actually saw i mean we were very excited about what we saw not only from the stands but also the trail cameras telling us what was you know moving into the area yeah agree 100 percent. i think fall of 17 and more specifically fall of 18 with no future ehd i think we're going to have some really good falls ahead the crop of three-year-olds that are out there right now that are going to be four and then five are just phenomenal i mean these are deer that grew up without social stress yeah i saw some of the biggest three-year-olds i've ever seen in my life this past fall i mean giant 150 to 170 class threes what are they going to be when they're five and a half if we keep social stress reduced like like it is right now yeah we noticed you know we dad and i had a few 
releases there in like the Fulton County area. And it, it didn't seem like it's completely bounced back yet. It seemed like it was still low numbers. We weren't seeing the sign. Uh, it just, it just wasn't great for us. This it's, has been a couple years in a row now. It seems like it got hit again and it, it got hit yeah. hard in 13, 12 or 13. Yeah. And then it just got hit again in 15 and 16. Yeah. It's uh, this stuff just won't go away. It's like a cancer. In man. fact, um, you know, this weekend we, we had a chance to see a couple of our Jury Outdoors team members, Rod um, Wilson and Keith Kuhn, and they had just did their, uh, their shed, shed hunt. hunt. And they and found more dead deer. They, they found four four or five more good-sized dead deer and, mm-hmm. like, hardly any sheds. They, I mean, it's, like, Yikes. year after year on their place. That's more, what, like, s- central – West Central. Yeah, West Central, yeah, Illinois. For sure. so. yeah. And the thing with EHD, too, is it is so localized where you can have these pockets where it yeah. just gets slammed. And then you can have another part of the state, though, where it's perfectly fine and they're doing great. So it's interesting. You'll probably hear people like Ralph's bouncing back. You guys are yeah. in Illinois. And I've seen the same thing in Michigan where we had some properties where like 60 deer would be all found dead in like a 100-acre area. And then you could go, you know the next block over and it seems peachy ralph you can speak to this because you travel and talk to so many hunters in so many different places what have you seen from an interest level post these big ehd outbreaks to me it doesn't seem like we have as many hunters because the opportunities haven't been there for them what are you what are you seeing out there in terms of interest level from the the average average blue collar deer hunter Mark, I mean, you're spot on. I mean, people people have lost interest because the opportunities have been shortened from them. And let's face it, a lot of their time is used up. So they only have a certain amount of time to get out in the woods. And when they go out there for the first time in, in two years, and where they used to see maybe 10, 12, 14 deer, and they don't see any, or they maybe see one or two, they're not coming back next weekend. And that's a bad deal because we, the only way that what our lifestyles will survive, and our lifestyle is what everybody is, you know, that all the viewers out there, we all live the same lifestyle. If we continue to lose these numbers and this participation, we're in, we're in a big world of hurt. We are. And you mentioned CWD. And that's had all the attention over the last 15 years. Yet you never hear of a department talking about trying to curtail EHD. Have you ever heard any biologist in any department say, you know what, we need to address EHD? No, I think they're scared of it because they don't understand it. Uh, You you know what I mean? And and so when they don't, they don't, they don't, if anybody's afraid of something, they don't want to bring it up. And I mean, here, the facts are in, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. (laughs) We, you know, they have to figure this out. And I mean, I think, all of us as sportsmen and women need to participate. We just found out. Now, this shows you. We just found out. We were talking to our one of our uh, conservation officers, and Steve told us. He said, "Well, now that your county has, you know, has has proven has come positive, one, just one, proved positive, the state's going to put us, you know, where you can deposit samples of the deer, and they're going to tell you exactly what you need to do. Here's the deal: if we do that." As hunters, uh, the state has, has said that if we, they get enough samples, then they don't have to turn around and start to bait and do that, do the, do the evening shooting stuff. So we as sportsmen all need to stick together. And if you find an area like that, help and participate. 
help them to understand it because it's only going to be good for everybody. Amen. This year during the Missouri uh, firearm season, the first weekend, there were several places where you had to actually go and check in your deer and, you know, almost like the old style of going to a check-in, uh, which was kind of nice from that regard, but they tested every every single deer. And uh, it was interesting. I, I forget the results. It was only a few positives that they found out of all this testing. But I, I've heard a few people say that <clears throat> likely there's always been the CWD in the herd, maybe one or two, but we're testing so much more now. They're finding it so much more. I mean, would you, Mark, is that what you would say? It's certainly one popular theory, yeah. but I think the jury's still out. I mean, yeah. we need to talk to the smart guys to figure this one out. Yeah. It's above and beyond mine and Ralph's pay grade, you know. Yeah. Um, we we got to figure it out, though, because some of this, to me, is um, – fuzzy math you know when you yeah. go in and you kill entire herds in large areas of our country because of a few cwd positives i, I really question that that method i mean but uh again it's above my pay yeah. grade. i know and speaking with like dr grant woods he he even he says there's so much that they're finding out just even recently about it it's changing very rapidly yes yeah, i'm yeah. anxious to we're going to have a podcast with grant and some other uh biologists from around the country specifically about cwd sometime this summer ralph great i'll say one thing i want to add on the ehd front really quickly um that's i think of interest to some of us in the midwest is that EHG has actually been around for a very long time, but it was most prevalent. It was in the south, southeast, and then it's been slowly moving north. So 20 years ago, 30 years ago, there were no EHG cases in the Midwest, up here in Iowa and Illinois, et cetera. But it was very much so down in Georgia, South Carolina, those places. And every year, there's uh, I, several years ago, I was looking at all the research on this, and they've shown you know, every outbreak has slowly gone a little bit farther north, a little bit farther north. But those early phase, those populations in the far south that have been you know, getting hit with EHG for a long time, those deer have developed a resiliency to it. And so it's not nearly as fatal down there. So they have lots of outbreaks down south, but they're not dying. Up in those newer outbreaks every year in the north, those deer are dying off quickly. Um, so the, the thought process is that eventually, as it continues to move, there's going to be some type of resiliency that builds up similar to what's been in the south, but we're just not there yet in these northern states where these deer aren't It's just evolution, it. it's, right? It's true to the point. However, there's some new forms of it that are wiping southern herds out right now. This EHD type, whatever, there's different types Changes, of it. Yeah. You talk to the guys at QDMA, and they yeah. said they're seeing die-offs in the southeast where they haven't seen them in a century Interesting. because of these new types of EHD. So was it to, Kentucky? What state was that we well, had just Kentucky, heard about? I yeah. mean, Mississippi, Tennessee got yeah. devastated again this year you know yeah. and these are places where they were supposedly had some immunity to it florida south mississippi south georgia we're seeing die-offs that we haven't seen before yeah. so and frankly i mean we're in a drought right now and if, 100% if, if we're it continues drought. it's not going to be a good situation for it's us it's exactly how 12 started yeah. we had a warm early spring that was very dry <clears throat> hopefully it doesn't happen again well, what else do we have to cover on this one? You know, I actually had one other one, one question related to the timing of hunts that we didn't touch on yet. And in the late season, I've actually seen this myself, and I've heard a number of people mention the fact that there can be that midday action during the late season, really cold days, snowy days, these deer getting up on their feet and hitting food sources midday. And I actually have had this the last two years in a row, the one mature buck on my property. Every mid-December to late December, he's hitting my food plots at noon, 1 o'clock for weeks. Um, when I'm staying out there and leaving it alone. Have you guys seen that? Have you ever tried to take advantage of that? 
I've seen it with my cameras, but I haven't witnessed it because I'm not out there in the middle part of the day <laughs> in December. I'll let Ralph speak to that one. <laughs> uh, we aren't either, guys. Uh, you, you know, I, I mean, we still we've se- we've seen early movement, especially when you know, you're having a big barometer change. You've got you've got a pressure situation coming in. We'll see that movement come in, but as as far as on a regular basis, you know, the cameras maybe have shown it, but but us. We're not there. We've learned from our, our past mistakes, and we just we try not. To, we try. It's hard, but you try not to to go against what you've learned in the past. Even on those really really high pressure days, it seems like there's still only like two or three o'clock until you know you might see early movement. Typically, those high pressures, if you're in by one thirty, you're mm-hmm. pretty safe. But still, all yep. in all, your movement's going to be at deer thirty, yeah. which is sunset thirty minutes before and then thirty minutes after. I mean, late season, it's in and around that sunset, man. Especially for the mature deer we're looking for. Yeah. You always have those outliers, right? You get deer that are injured. Uh, either by from a, you know a stray bullet or a fight or something like that, they're going to be out there early. But they're outliers. You know, they're yeah. not your typical. And they're they're early because they're bedded close to the food. They're bedded right, right <laughs> off of it. Yeah. Right? yeah. And most of the time, those are the ones that got their butt kicked. Yeah. So they don't you know they don't want to deal with the big boy that's still in the brush coming out at sunset. Yeah. 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 Very true. Well, anything else on this topic we need to cover, guys? No, I want to thank Ralph for coming aboard. I mean, he's been a hero of mine and Terry's for so many years, and on top of that, one of our best friends in the whole industry. I mean, it's uh, if people only knew how close all of us were behind the scenes, they couldn't believe wow. it, you know, because you, you watch their show, and they have a set of partners, and we have a different set of partners. Sometimes they overlap. Most of the time they don't. So we don't get to hunt together as much as we like, but we're all still very, very close friends. We're like a big uh, outdoor family, really. Amen, buddy. And I and I, I would love to say this, that, you know, call, being able to call you guys friends has, has been an honor for, well, probably close to 30 years. And, and it just it's a blessing in our world to, to have this closeness and to understand that without you guys in our industry and what you've done, we'd be we'd be in a, a world of hurt. Thank you, guys. Well, the same goes for you and Vicky. We love you like our own. You guys take care out there, Ralph. We appreciate you all. Safe travels, all buddy. Right, Good luck turkey season. Thanks, guys. I'm going to do what you guys do. Kill them. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. You take care. All right. See you. All right. God bless you. God you bless too. you. Awesome. And then our quick wrap-up for our listeners and viewers would just simply be to subscribe to the audio version. If you'd like to listen on your phone or in the car or on the treadmill, you can do that on your iPhone with the podcast app. Or if you have an Android device, you can go and use Stitcher or the Google Play app, and you can get there. If you want to submit a question of your own for future episodes, you can go to wiredtohunt.com slash 100% wild. As always, you can check out the video version of this podcast on the Drury Outdoors YouTube channel. While you're there, check out all the new DOD TV episodes, the Killing It in the Kitchens. we got a lot of t- tons of new creative content that's never been seen anywhere else so check it out subscribe and then as always you can uh, follow us on facebook instagram twitter or duryoutdoors.com i just saw your recent episode with tom ware pretty it's cool. a good one yeah great buck yeah the one which buck because he's killed so many every year it was it's the like new a, one that just came out yesterday oh, okay. it was uh, yeah. uh shoot he he had shot it hit it in the shoulder and then came back a couple days later and uh, yeah kind of shot him so yeah. that was pretty cool Tom, Tom's one of those guys. We need to. We had him on the podcast once. We need to have him back on. He's a wealth of information because, you know, before he was a Drury Outdoors team member, of course, he was an outfitter. Hmm. And I think what didn't he say that Stan Potts was instrumental in helping him set up 
his first outfitting he, he his was. farm. Wow. Learned a lot what he did, how he set his farms up through Stan. Yeah, so he's learned from the best, obviously. Yeah. When you talk about a Tom Moyer deer, you 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 have to say which That's gross fun. boon you're talking yeah, about, right? Because there are so many. I mean, he kills yeah. some giants. He does. Yeah. That's the truth. Well, on that note, we will wrap this one up. Thank you all so much for listening.